0: Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to this three podcast network, which includes the shows Education on Fire, sharing creative and inspiring learning in our schools, Learning on Fire, Education from Sharing Wisdom, Not Testing, and the National Association for Primary Education. Find out all you need to know at educationonfire.com. There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people, who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom, and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be, and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration, and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning On Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to David Miller. Hi David, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are.
1: Hello there, Mark. I'm David Miller, lovely to be with you. I'm the Director of the Innovation School at Kelvinside Side in Scotland. And um, the journey here has been quite an interesting one. Can I share some of that journey with Absolutely, you? Absolutely,
0: please do, yes.
1: Cool. Okay. So so I'll start back in 1985 when I graduated from university. So my, my original degree was a master's degree with honors in English literature and the history of fine art. And you may be thinking, goodness, how does a man go from that to, <laughs> to an innovation school? So yes, yeah, so the journey is quite interesting. So after graduation, I spent a few years in Milan and then Copenhagen teaching English as a foreign language. And that kind of exposed me to the, the, my first experience of how do people learn Gen- generally adults in these both of these cities? um but just thinking about how people how people learn. And then I came back to Scotland and worked for 10 years in the arts in the conservatory sector and in the festival sector. And then in the early noughties, I was working with uh, an organization called the Children's Panel, which is a quasi judicial organization that seeks to save children from falling through the, the net, as it were. And I suddenly had a, a wake up call. I should be teaching, so I went into back to university, did the post grad in teaching, and it was the strangest thing. It just it suddenly felt as if I'd found my natural habitat. Um, I just took to it like a duck to water, to extend the metaphor, <laughs> and um, and that was me. So I I got a lovely job out in a school called St Ninians in Kirkintilloch. It was a nice leafy area in the, in the west of Scotland, and. Um, just adored it and and, um, was, was at that stage really interested in using technologies for learning and how technologies could be leveraged for maximum emotional impact of literature. And so I was exploring these and amongst lots of other things I was doing in the classroom. And in 2008, a very close friend nominated me for the Scottish Teacher of the Year, which came as a lovely surprise when I won, which was lovely. And then I went forward to the UK finals and ended up winning the UK Teacher of the Year, which was delightful. And um, was down at the Palladium and made a lovely speech and met Ian Patterson, who gave me my award, and Jeremy McVine, it was all very delightful. So that opened up some really interesting doors for me. Um, one of which took me down to London in 2012 to head up a, a new company, to be a founding member of a new company called Coato Studios, which was looking to explore learning environments involving the 3D lovely environments, immersive environments and artificial intelligence. So that was really interesting. So I worked down there for six years and and created a number of games with the team down there, including a, a game that taught children how to learn JavaScript in this amazing game that used robots and a real time interpreter within the games so that the kids actually had to correct strings of JavaScript to make their robots in March around this big, um, Chess, effectively a chessboard with lots of uh, different obstacles in it. So that was really interesting. And we also created a number of literacy games, which leveraged artificial intelligence and, and kids could create questions. And there was a lovely um, mechanic in the game whereby the children's play session was actually um, creating a storybook in the background. So that's kind of patent-pending technology, which is really interesting. And so, yeah, so that took me again and further into the whole business of innovation and enterprise. But London being London, and for a a man of a certain age, I just, I I finally found it all a bit exhausting. So I came back to to Scotland because I was just missing home too much and and brothers and mum and dad and stuff. So I came back to Scotland and an opportunity came up for a head of faculty job at Kelvinside Academy, which I came in for for interview. And at the interview, the former rector, um during the interview said oh look at these plans because he knew about my background and how interested i am and and was in innovation and he said look at these plans we've got these plans for a three-story glass cube that have been in place with planning permission for 10 years but we've never really had a reason to build the building and he said we've just run an amazing summer school with an organization in boston called View studio and he said it had such an, a profound impact on the, the, the young people that took part in this a summer school because Nubu Studio is an innovation school in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which the, their model of learning is based on the architecture studio model, and which is all about prototyping and iterating and failing and succeeding, and, and you know, the whole, that whole design studio um, methodology. And so immediately my ears pricked up, and I said, goodness, that sounds amazing. And he said, "You imagine if we built this building and, and we based it on that methodology, what do you think?" So, so I was instantly, "Oh yeah, that that's the job I want. I do not actually want the faculty job. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much prefer that job because that's absolutely what I I'm all about." And I just think it sounds amazing. So, if I am can I
0: continue, I'm not. Yeah, please do. Yeah, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, so we so I got the job, the faculty job, and and that was great. But over the course of that year from 17 into 18 we put together an investor deck we started fundraising for the new building we started to explore what the building of what the whole model would look like if we had a whole school devoted to this architecture studio design studio model and then in summer 2018 we decided to run a second summer school just again to test the water to validate assumptions and and to look at what what this whole model might look like so again hugely impactful so we're, we're running workshops and studios in swarm robotics and bio fashion and battle robotics and augmented reality gaming mixed reality gaming you know so you get an idea of the range of of sorts of studios that that nuvu run and meanwhile they're sending us some top-notch people over you know people that have all come from mit harvard you know they've been through the, the architecture design uh, degrees over there you know, really fascinating people not 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 pedagogues in the sense of, you know, not conventional teachers, but but remarkably inspirational and, and again, just totally imbued in the whole culture of a design studio. So by this stage, we thought, well, if we've got to build this building and, and establish the innovation school as a new and interesting model that to, to complement what's happening in schools in Scotland and, and wider afield. So we appointed a young chap called James Addison um, as our Nouveau fellow and we decided we had to embed this person into the into the school fabric and to see how that would work actually trying to run a completely different model of learning from that that pertained in the rest of the school so we adapted uh, an old drama studio into an innovation lab and equipped it with all the all the things that are, are useful like um laser cutters, 3D printers, glue guns, cardboard, stainless just every sort of bit of equipment that a design studio would need. And over the course of 18 into 19, James actually ran studios for pupils exactly the way they would run in the the Hub School back in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And what that means is that students were actually taken off timetable for two weeks at a time. And they were given at the start of every two week sprint, they would be given a challenge and then over the course of the two weeks, students had to use their imaginations or curiosity and you know, just be inspired to come up with a solution um, for the, whatever the challenge was um, and then present the challenge at the end of the two week sprint. So to give you an idea of what a challenge might be, so the very first studio that happened in the autumn of 2018, it was called Super Enabling Devices. Now, what that was, was to to work with a local care home and to go in and, and to interview residents about past former passions and interests and abilities, and then for the children to come back and actually prototype a device that could assist an elderly person that was maybe now compromised through Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or stroke. So a device that would assist them to have some regain, some sense of what, their former passion felt like. So I mean, a really, you know, a, a, a challenge this was for first year, so that S1, so that would be maybe year eight, would that be in the English system. Um, so young, young people, 11, 12 year old. And so we went up on the very first morning and the kids interviewed all, there was a range of residents with different needs and the, the, the young people went up and interviewed them and came back completely galvanized with this project and over the course of two weeks they prototyped and designed and iterated on a a whole range of different solutions so we had one group of boys who came up with a delightful communal knitting device that would allow four people to knit simultaneously on the same garment. We had another pair came up with a a, a wheelchair golf mechanism where they designed a ratchet and made it work so that a lovely old gentleman called Bill could actually have a sense of what it was like you know to sort of have a golf club in his hands again but you know make it lever and and do the business with the with the golf we had another group of children that took a zimmer frame from the from the care home and adapted it to be a, a a gardening implement so that you could actually plant seeds and water and do do a variety of tasks around the garden while still using your zimmer frame so i think what you're getting is is a quite a nice picture of a of a, of a system of learning which fully leverages children's curiosity, their desire to learn in real time in the real world on solutions that have a real world impact. I think that's for me what's what's most fascinating about this model is the moral and ethical dimension of, of this of the of the model. So that everything has a kind of a moral imperative, that nothing is done in the abstract. Like for whenever if a child is using Rhino, which is a 2D, 3D modeling software, which is industry standard. This is something that's used in studios. They're actually using it for a purpose. They're wanting to design and cut out a cardboard shape, you know, that will then be used in their prototype. When they're using 3D printers, they're using them again for a purpose, you know, a real purpose. And, And the whole business of a prototype not working becomes something to celebrate because in a conventional classroom, as we know, kids are... You know taught they have a certain perspective on what they're being taught namely they have to remember it and then pass an exam at the end of it whereas with this model failure is something that's to be celebrated and, and the whole idea of having to, to to achieve something at the end is, is not the point it's, it's all about the process rather than the final product and, and children find that quite a liberating experience i think that gives you a whistle-stop tour of both my journey and something about the model of learning that's that's pertaining in the innovation school.
0: Um, I mean, it really does. I mean, there are so many fantastic elements there, and I can almost hear the the cars' petrol tanks being filled up as children are saying, "I want to be going north across the border." <laughs> Take me that way to see those things, and um, um, and and we we talk about these sorts of things a lot. Um, throughout education on fire and it is the sense of, 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 of three or four things probably that you said there which I think are just critical. One is the fact that it's got real meaning in the now, isn't it? those projects, you know, having spoken to people, having seen what they need help and support with, you know, using the skills that they need, the fact that failure is just... It's not failure, it's experimentation. It's the way of finding the way to get the solution that you want, which you you, know, you don't actually know when you may or may not actually achieve that kind of thing. The understanding that all the learning that you do are tools in order to achieve these things. And you know the working in teams, I mean, the fact that you come off timetable for, for two weeks and there's something which is something that has to happen in order to create this thing i mean it it sounds like it's such a fantastic environment to be in in the fact that that's something which they can embrace and and really enjoy is you know so many of those facets i think are just an incredible situation for them to have the opportunity to have
1: well that's interesting so the you know so what you're hinting at is the buy-in and that that's a really important aspect of the whole thing um, because, you know, from teachers through to pupils themselves through to parents, you know, there's a huge amount of investment in terms of people's taking that sort of leap of faith, if you like, suspending their disbelief that something could be different. You know, if I look back at my own childhood school experience, which it was in the 70s and um, 60s and 70s, so I went up to primary school and whenever that would be 67 and left secondary school in 79. You know, and it was it was a very conventional you know the teachers were great and i loved them as, as children do and you know they, they they were absolutely doing their best with with what they had I and mean, this is in the age well before any any remote <laughs> technology whatsoever um but you know i kind of think you know so much of that model still pertains today and you can't help thinking that children and teachers are just ready for a different way of delivering their subjects so that's i think what we're what we're trying to experiment with here. And um, like I say, you know, teachers bought into it. So allowing second year pupils to come off timetable, you know, there was some grumbling, shall we say, but I think people felt, well, do you know what? This is a really interesting model. We've kind of got to allow this to go, We've got to make the leap of faith because in the end, it's had a hugely impactful, positive impact on kids' ability to learn beyond the studio, which is partly what we hoped would happen because in in a sense when children become their own self-directed learners they also become very adept reflectors on their own learning and i didn't mention one particular aspect of the studio but that is the photo booth so the photo booth is an integral part of the whole design studio because what the photo booth does is capture every single step in a child's journey from its very first sketch through to its final prototype and what's lovely about it is that the photographs taken in the photo booth look incredibly professional so even from a from a very quick rudimentary prototype using cardboard and glue guns uh, once it's photographed in the photo booth it just looks gorgeous you know so so when when the when the photograph is taken that photograph goes up to the child's um, unique place on the on the platform and so and what's expected over the course of time is that the child will reflect on design decisions that they made that day and with that particular prototype or sketch or idea whatever it happens to be so in a sense the, the beauty of the thing comes um actually acts as a stimulus to the child reflecting on its own learning and as i hinted before i mean that's what you want children to be doing all the time regardless of subjects you know you want them to be thinking all the time about how they learn and um, how they process information and how they repurpose what what they know into some um, reusable form, you know, so that I, I love the idea as a former English teacher of children thinking about essays as being iterative, you know, rather than just writing an essay and handing it in and that being then it's being graded and, and that's it, you know, to become much more conscious of the creative process involved and in, similarly in maths and, and chemistry. I mean, any subject really you can think of um, where the children are actually being Asked to reflect on the whole process of their learning, I think that just makes them much more, um, much more conscious learners, if you like.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true, and I, I love the. Well I love the fact that obviously you know the school is set up to actually do this and and I know some teachers struggle because they might have these um, ideas and and a willingness to do it but without the support from the very top down it it doesn't work um, quite as simply as that and I also love the fact that you have that sort of international element you know everything that you're involved in is being um, worked with a different country you know a a different set of of ideas and the fact that everything just suddenly becomes very outward looking rather than inward looking and I think that's a, that's a really exciting prospect for them as well.
1: No, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so the whole link with Nuvu in Massachusetts, I mean, that came about because the former rector, he was doing a bit of research at Harvard and literally by chance, you know, came across an advert for this innovation school and reached out to them and they reached back. And um, like I say, it was kind of love at first sight. I think, I mean, it's obviously, you know, this is an independent school. So in a sense, we're very fortunate that we're not being, know guided by you know authority-wide strictures the way we are able to um form our own alliances and partnerships but um but i like to think that this model could absolutely pertain wherever so what we've done we've created a partnership with nuvu where we can actually take this model and put it into schools and local authorities wherever you know the the need might arise but i would absolutely love to we will we will be bringing in children from local state schools to, to to run innovation workshops with them but i absolutely love the idea of creating hubs either within school or at local authority level which could then be available to clusters of schools where there's a new fellow embedded who's able to take groups of children through the, the new journey because it is a it's such a liberating thing and and also for teachers and you know, i just think so many teachers must equally feel constrained by the whole business of results and statistics that have become, become such a profound narrative in our system um, and they must just be yearning for some different way of delivering their content in a way that you know has, has some real world impact.
0: It's a very exciting prospect for those people thinking oh it's something I'd like to be involved in the fact that there is that opportunity to to possibly be involved in whichever way that, that, that could happen. Um, um, we were sort of covered about a little bit about what your life looked like um, before and how it was growing up in terms of the different in technology bear in mind you're completely immersed in this whole design world and the fact that you've had so many different aspects to your career which I love people to hear because it just goes to show nothing is usually ever quite how you imagined it, even if you have a goal, how you get there often zigzags through. Um, And and, and I think your experience that you just said in terms of taking it into state schools and having the fact that you can have the independent sector working with the state sector and all of that, I think, you know, everything is going to start to merge in some way or another, like you say, is is this whole vision of what learning is starts to change and is changing already, as as you've you've been demonstrating. Um, But winding it through I mean what do you think was valuable about your experience bearing in mind like you said it was a very different time then than it is now but there must have been elements of that which actually have enabled you to to grow through the career that you've actually had
1: yeah I mean it's an interesting question so you're looking back at one's past you know what what particular things about one's past and upbringing bring you to the point where you are now and I mean, I suppose I was, but well, not suppose, I know I was extremely blessed with the upbringing I had. My mum and dad just exposed us to every possible interesting experience, you know, from opera to ballet, to art uh, galleries, to travel, you know, so, so it was an incredibly rich upbringing and I, you know, a natural musician, so I played the piano from an early age. So the whole business of discipline and really being sort of conscious about trying to achieve something that that actually was stemming from my own passion, it was a very natural desire you know to to constantly wish to progress in in something that I felt naturally passionate about um and then I suppose just a naturally curious mind as well like just growing up in curiosity and and never being constrained by convention, just being allowed to explore and and um you know that's such an important thing and having having creativity celebrated. As well, you know, I think too many kids growing up, particularly now, I mean, I do, I do kind of worry in this digital age whether, whether, you know, the discipline and the rigor that goes with learning an instrument or, or really going for something is, um, is still part of the narrative in family life. Um, I like to hope that it is, but you know, I do somehow worry with all the different myriad distractions that children have. And then I suppose just I mean people would call my career I guess a bit portfolio, but but for me that's how it's worked. And I guess I've always had an eye for the main chance, if you like, and thought you know when when an interesting project came along, I thought well that looks interesting, you know. So from from. Going off to Milan and then Copenhagen, coming back and then working for this wonderful Glasgow Arts Festival called Mayfest, which is sadly no longer, and then and then an opportunity to come up at the Royal Conservatoire in Glasgow. So I went to work there and ended up composing music with Sir Philip Ledger. And then, you know, just doing work with the children's panel again opened up a whole new area. And that was that was really that um, that drew me into teaching. And then just what what teaching has has brought me, you know, just you know allowing myself to be open to children's curiosities and and to 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 allow them to explore literature that i love and and to hear their reactions you know it's a perpetual learning journey and it's a bit of a cliche to say it but you know in a sense children have kind of brought me to a wonderful point in my life where you know i fully value what it is to be a teacher and to be in, in some way influential in young people's upbringing and how they perceive the world and how they perceive their sense of the world which is why I just think this model is so important because I do worry that a lot of children will leave school wondering what on earth that was all about, you know, because really, as I say, we've had these siloed subjects and the, 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 the main thrust of school narrative is the results at the end of it and then going into university. And, and I just feel that, you know, we have to tell a different story in order for children to, to, to be able to adapt to this incredibly ever changing and fast changing world that they're they're going into. And also that they're very, very conscious of what what kind of world what, what their impact on the world could be, because with the whole business of global warming and and pollution of plastics, all that kind of thing, you know, there seem to be huge problems that are man-made that really need to be addressed as a matter of urgency. And I just think the more that schools can do to make children articulate and what these problems are, um, that, that to me seems an incredibly strong moral imperative for schools now, and, and I'm not sure that the whole model of just you know five A levels or nine GCSEs and then universities necessarily absolutely the best way that we could be addressing some of these problems.
0: Yeah no I think that's absolutely true and it, it sounds to me there'd be many of your pupils if I asked the question which teacher do you remember and why it would be you that comes back for all of those <laughs> reasons that you've just been saying um, but are there any teachers that you remember from your learning days that you remember and why, what was it about them that really struck with you?
1: Yeah it's interesting so yeah, I mean, it's a, obviously it's going back really quite far back into my past I mean I remember I, I suppose two teachers that were at the very start of both the, the junior school and then the senior school and i think what struck me about both of these people was their empathy just their sheer human warmth and their their desire to to celebrate whatever achievements whatever creations you know that we were we were bringing to them and that that for me is such an important thing the whole notion of empathy and, and um, well-being in schools and making children feel valued because uh, it does feel like quite a better world that we're creating all of us adults out there with all the different vagaries of political systems, both sides of the Atlantic and, and elsewhere. And I just think that schools can still be places where you know, there is that sense of an enveloping warmth, an enveloping sense of empathy, that um, that they feel safe enough to be themselves and to be who they want to be. So it's quite a profound question, that one. Yeah, <laughs>
0: no, I love it because... Um... I've just launched season seven of the Education on Far podcast and the whole season is based on well-being. And what I've loved about it of what you just said there is the fact that that's such an integral part so many questions we get you know how do i do this particular subject in this particular way but actually taking everything back to the sense of who we are and how we interact with everybody is such a key factor and it's it's out of all of that i think that the sort of education world that you've been talking about so far comes from the rest there are so many tools that we need in order to do it but i think that starting point is is an incredibly important factor which i think when we can all get to that point <laughs> even if it's just a few minutes every day of really understanding what's going on it sets everything up in a completely different mindset
1: no, no absolutely and it's that it's that kind of emotional connection i think that's what surprised me about teaching was just how emotional the whole thing the whole experience has been and i suppose literature is one of these things that you you can't really escape from emotion when you're doing texts like lord of the flies or and um, to kill a mockingbird and there's always going to be heightened emotion but for me you know, I just love that, that element of being able to show, you know, show model, almost model for the kids, a humanity, a basic humanity that when, you know, when you're reading about the predicaments of characters that you can weep, you know, although they're fictional, you know, you still find yourself caught in, in what it is to be human. And that's, uh, that's such a profound thing. But I don't think there, there are sufficient ways that, teachers are allowed to model that that emotional aspect of themselves. I mean, obviously in schools all around the country, there will be absolutely brilliant teachers doing exactly that. But again, I just think the the constraints of the system in terms of the whole thrust being on the narrative of results and statistics kind of works against the ability of teachers to to be fully who they are let alone allowing the kids to be fully who
0: they are themselves yeah that's absolutely true and i've mentioned this before on the podcast but it was it was when i first had the opportunity to perform um having had a few lessons and got my first taste of what it's like to be in an ensemble Mm -hmm. that i thought I finally found my voice in whatever that happens to be and I know some people find it in in science or they might find it in maths or in English or however it is that you express yourself but for me it was that ability to suddenly be sat somewhere and play music I thought this is me sort of showing up in the world as as my true self and I was able to express it in that particular way and you're absolutely right that. You know all the testing doesn't really help that the the narrowing of the curriculum I'm not sure that today if I was going into school I'd actually have that opportunity to experience it in that way and you know, we can talk about the bigger picture that maybe I would have found it in a different scenario but I think you know schooling being a situation where actually what we want to do is to give children experiences so they can find what these things are so they can then go out into the world and then share the skills and, and the knowledge that they have
1: yeah exactly and and you know it needn't necessarily be in every classroom so so when i was at St Ninian's, indians i you know i used to run uh you know the school shows and it was amazing you know. so i remember guys and dolls and calamity jane and you know so so all of the interactions that happen in in these instances you know took kids on on field trips to tanzania up mountains you know so you know there are all there are so many different ways of 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 exposing children to the, the emotional life and the inner life and what it means to be human Um, But so long as there are at least moments in every day where children are are seeing that that life is just a bit more than than our school should be, so much more than just, you know, performing and and, um, getting the right results
0: yeah absolutely and, and i think it's really key in as much as children only really remember being in school you know from such a young age you know it's what you do every day and i've got a niece who's just started relatively um sort of this this term and is, i think she said the same thing that i i've heard our children say when they started it's, it's so exciting and it's so fun and then there's the realization what i've got to go every day <laughs> and that, that, yes for quite a few years that, yeah. that, that's kind of it now and, that, and, and it is that you know all you could remember I can remember my first day but every day you know for five days a week for many many years and like you say it's only when the experience of school is a little bit like you've been describing already where that's a different feeling than just that turning up and going on some kind of treadmill and I think that's that's such an important factor
1: yeah no absolutely so we so the innovate so we've now I'm now sitting in the innovation school and it's delightful you know, it feels so different from a conventional school we went with a, a, a a number of accent colors that related to the, the the school in boston that we've partnered with so we've got razzle dazzle pink <laughs> walls and razzle dazzle pink chairs we've got 11 yellow walls we have got incredible fizzy green walls you said we've got concrete floors so we've got lovely big benches with beach tops you know everything is very tactile and and kind of is in your face if you like so that when the kids come in it just feels like a a completely different environment so we've got so the 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 narrative i spoke about before whereby james took younger school students so it was the the final two years of primary and the first two of secondary that james worked with when he was in the 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 old innovation lab while that this school was actually being built but what we felt we had to do going forward was we were getting so much interest not least from the builder of the building balfour beatty but from a number of industries and, and academics around the city and around Scotland and further afield who are saying, oh, my God, this is what we need. You know, actually, this is we, we want kids coming to us already prepared for this new way of thinking, being able to collaborate and to think critically about problems and be able to solve problems iteratively. And um, we want to be involved in this. So so what we've done is we actually we couldn't run immersive student a studios for you know, kids at GCSE level or A level because you simply couldn't take kids out of, of timetable for a whole two weeks at a time. So what we've done is we've created two columns at S3, so that would be the first of the GCSE years, and then two columns in S5, 6, so the year 12, 13. And when we opened these up, again, this was what, what I found striking as, as a leap of faith of parents. So the kids are actually doing NUVU as a subject, if you like, subject in inverted commas, because it overtakes so many. But but what's fascinating about it is that these children are doing, if you like, a non-tariffed course. You know, so for universities, they can't say, well, I got an A for Nuvu. So, but what they do get is this amazingly rich portfolio that, as I described earlier, overtakes all of the different reflections and and ranging across a whole different you know, a myriad of different sorts of challenge that might overtake biofashion, as I said robotics. Activism, all sorts of different sorts of, um, photography films, so many different sorts of studio. Um, but parents were delighted, you know, and, and have actually been clamouring for places for the for their kids to be part of this because they know that this is the big differentiator. And and we think the narrative is changing out there that you, for universities, from admissions officers, from qualifications authorities, that they all know that the current model is i think in its final years i would like to think it's in its final years and there has to be some different route for kids to be able to to come into the either the workplace or an academic life with something that isn't just another set of conventional um, qualifications which is not to undervalue i mean kids love doing well i mean i did seven hires back in 79 And, you know, I was delighted, but in a sense, you know, thinking about it, were these really all these subjects, were these really what helped me? And, and, you know, how could I have done things differently that might have leveraged more of my own personal passions and interests rather than just what was being dictated by the system, if you like?
0: I think that sort of immersive idea in actually being involved—you know—you think about the companies like you know Apple and Google and you know those sorts of things and and the image that's sort of presented in terms of the way that they work and how everyone interacts and teams and all of that kind of thing—and I think that's beginning to filter through into into all manners of different v- business as well. And like you're saying, and universities are understanding that actually setting up their pupils for what they need in the workforce is actually very different than what it has been and and i think you're right it is changing it is moving in many different ways it's just it 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 just needs someone to be showing them the way which i think is exactly what you're doing which i think is why this is such an exciting project
1: yes i'm absolutely determined that we take this model and and somehow replicate it much much wider than than just where we are in Kirklee in glasgow because um, I just think that uh, the more people are exposed to it, the more schools are going to to see the value in this as a as a proposition for their young learners. I mean, we are we should all be about choice, and certainly schools bend over backwards to offer you know an incredible range of subjects. I just think it's not so much about subjects as as a, a different way of actually learning, and that's what for me is fascinating about this this new view model, is like as I've said I've, I've numerous times that it is about the, the process rather than the final product.
0: I'm I'm really keen to sort of understand sort of how how your sort of personal development sort of com- comes in with all of this as well, because we have people that we sort of remember, people that we look up to, and 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 sort of give us our senses we're learning how we want to progress going forward so there must have been someone that you admired when you were young and can you remember what it was about that person that had such an impact?
1: Yeah I mean I guess you know um, I suppose my dad actually so I lost my dad in 2011 to Parkinson's and uh, complications with um, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and uh, but he was the most amazing engineer and uh, although engineering was very very far from where I would ever have they followed life. Um I think what dad showed me when I was young was just an amazing capacity for being able to to offer up solutions, you know, and and, and to to leverage my own passion. So I was always very interested in drama and performing. You know, so dad actually built me um like a theater, you <laughs> know, a full scale theater, obviously, <laughs> but but as a little theater for, for my puppets, you know, and I would be able to show off, and it had curtains that worked and all that kind of thing, and and then just watching the way he went around about his life, um, it was just so amazingly empathic person, and, and somebody that just put huge energy into the family, into me and my brothers, and just to give us the richest possible, the richest possible life, yeah, but slightly like, you know, going beyond family, I guess. I mean, as a musician, I used to absolutely adore people like Marta Argerich and Art of you know, just admiring them for the sheer determination of their musicianship and, and so reaching the top. Um, but yeah, it's quite hard to, to think back of specific people in mean, different, different areas of life politics and arts and um, social you know, dimensions. I had lots and lots of different people. Nelson Mandela was a huge figure when I was growing up. Um, as well just amazingly
0: admirable person. I really love that what you painted there in terms of, of your dad being able to support you in his sort of authentic way with something that he obviously was very passionate about and his skills in what you were doing as part of your skills as well I think that's lovely when that happens because like you say that just sort of open relationship in terms of everyone's being who they are but being able to use exactly the skills and and who they are to support each other i just think that's such a lovely picture
1: no it was amazing i mean he was somebody both my and dad i mean they they were always like to thine own self be true you know and then they completely celebrated who i was as a youngster which was different you know from my two brothers but but it's it's a lovely kind of sense of coming full circle with my dad because he in the end um was the head of a a company that was looking at renewable energy this is back in the late 1990s and um and uh, created a big Scottish study around renewable energies at the time, and and so for me now that working in this environment, and and being part of something that makes kids think about the environment and and what the world could and should look like with their with their solutions and their inputs, um, it feels like a you know a lovely kind of legacy for my dad, because um, part of the whole model is making children think about recycling and thinking about resourcing and, and not being wasteful and in fact that's the, the building itself that we're in when when we started the building process we got in touch with the Ellen macarthur foundation and learned more about the whole business of the circular design model and so we asked balfour beatty the builders to incorporate as many circular principles into the building as is possible because we felt well, the building should be innovative in its in its design as as much as in its purpose and its construction so so that's so that's another lovely part of the building is it actually overtakes a number of of principles that touch with the whole business of the circular economy uh, which is quite brilliant so that's a whole other narrative that you're bringing to young people that uh, that the building itself is a learning object as much as a space to learn in
0: yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that the impact that people have on you can go in so many different ways. It's, that's so, such a great thing, I think, for us to remember. Yeah. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you?
1: So I think, well, I guess I touched on it just there. So the whole business of being totally authentic be to thine own self be true. Um, and again, it was I can't remember a moment when that was said by mum and dad, but, um, mm-hmm. but that that sense of being the authentic self was just something that infused my whole childhood and early adulthood. And, and I think that's what has made me you know, a great teacher, if you don't mind me saying so, but, you know, is, is the authentic self because children, you know, they, they can see through falsity and and, uh, and and I think it was just lovely to be able to come into an environment, you know, to weep over passages from Browning or Golding or whoever, whoever I was reading. Um, and to be completely authentic in my interactions with young people. And, and I think children respond to that hugely. Uh, so I would certainly say to any teacher who's coming into the into the profession, you'll know, be absolutely true to yourself and you know, do not try and, and develop a teacher persona or something that you think might end up saving you because, you know, you feel you have to act or behave in a certain way in front of young people. Because uh, in my experience, if you're authentically yourself, and then then you're going to get the best out of your your young people in front of you.
0: And and what advice would you give your younger self? And and I'm I'm always slightly um, interested by this question because I know as younger people, and thinking back to my younger years, the advice that you're given you often don't take on board anyway because you're either not in a position to understand it or um or you don't quite know what to do with it but I still think it's really important for people to hear what you would that the advice that you would give your younger self now to, to help you in, in in your life going forward
1: yeah well I guess I mean I would say to, to find identify what is your m- real motivator and what is your passion and to try to follow that because I guess in a sense I mean my life has been fascinating and I've, I've made it fascinating but in a sense looking back your know, music singing and piano were so important to me I and mean, I still sing in the RSNO chorus and, and have singing lessons and I still play the piano but I think I if I were looking back I would say look David um follow these passions you know these, these are what are the true motivators in your life you know i used to cycle for miles and through the winter to, to get to my piano teacher which suggests there was some determination there and <laughs> um, so and i think you know i did go through the conventional schooling and did end up you know doing the hires that that seemed the logical ones to do for somebody but thinking back on it I, i'd be much stronger in myself and saying well look david this is what you're this is what you're really interested in. So go for that, you know, really, really push that, the composition, the piano playing, the singing. Um, so, yeah, I think I would I would have to say be much more connected to what, what is your particular thing and to go for that more than just necessarily following the convention.
0: And what does your future look like, do you think? <laughs>
1: Goodness, oh, that's a good one. So, yeah, I think it should be... Bright, very very bright <laughs> so yes yeah, so, i mean obviously heading up this school is, is just such an amazing opportunity and i would love to have you know before i retire to have changed the narrative a bit for a for a much wider demographic than than the children that are here at kelvin side you know i think if i can open up this model and to to showcase this model and to have children you know across the country across europe i mean we're, we're hoping to 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 have an influence in european schools as much as uk ones um i think that for me would feel like a really nice legacy so i'm i'm going to spend the next few years really going hell for leather to to make that happen
0: and and just to wrap up now what podcast book video film song or or any resource has had the biggest impact on your life and why was that
1: (laughs) So, oh, goodness, that's a tricky one because there's so many. I mean, I could point to so many different. You, you,
0: you, could, you can do a, a sort of a short selection if, if you'd want to narrow it down to one. So,
1: Yeah, yeah. so thinking back, so very early, Sparking his Magic Piano. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it was the wonderful radio experience of a little kid that goes into this dream and, and thinks he, he's a concert pianist, and that just snagged in my memory. It's just something utterly delightful because it overtook some remarkable piano playing, I think it was Rubinstein playing Rachmaninoff, but also just delightful storytelling and then, you know, through into other spheres, Jesse Norman singing the, the Richard Strauss four last songs and um, just some seminal experiences, watching Warren Mitchell um, acting in Death of a Salesman it just, you know, completely blew me away. Janet Baker singing Orfeo at the at Siege of Oil in Glasgow. There are so many. I mean, I, I I do actually find it really difficult to to narrow to narrow something down. I guess if there was one text that pertains to me being the teacher that I am, I, I think it would probably have to be from the prose point of view, *Lord of the Flies* by William Golding, and from the poetry aspect, it would be *The The Love Song of J Alfred Pruf, Prufrock* by T. S. Eliot, Um, because both of these, I, I just had the most amazing interactions with young people, um. In my, my English teaching career, I'm sort of slightly removed from the classroom now, but certainly working with these texts with young people, I, they just explored what it was to be human and I just have such great memories of, of teaching both of these texts.
0: Uh, what I loved about that is the fact that, you know, beyond any specific one thing, I think what what really struck me is the fact that actually it's the experience of all these things and actually in, embracing all the things which you really enjoy. And I think that, that, that's a that's a great way to, to finish that. And, you know, you could be inspired, like you say, by a particular work or even a particular performance, but it's how you then um, enable that to become part and parcel of your life. And I think that, that comes across in everything that we've been talking about today, which is, uh, which is incredibly um, inspiring, I think, for people to listen to. So for those that are really interested in what you're doing and and the whole ethos of everything, what's the best way for people to find out more?
1: so just be in touch i mean i can give you my email address if that's appropriate or just to look me up david miller at the innovation school kelvin side and um but yeah i'd love for people to reach out and to to hear more about what we're doing and and invite people up to to see the whole school in action because it is it's it's really quite inspiring and enthralling anybody that comes through the doors and sees the projects and sees the young people in in situ working in, in this design studio way um you know they're just so interested and impressed so yeah absolutely delighted for people to reach out and on twitter too i mean well any, any of the social media channels linkedin
0: twitter um instagram even that's fantastic and we'll have um all those links on the show notes to this particular page so if you go to educationonfar.com forward slash david miller then um all those will come up with details of all the things we've been talking about so well thank you david for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your wonderful experiences
1: thank you it's been my pleasure mark
0: Thank you for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. Remember to keep up to date with everything that's happening on the Education on Fire podcast network. You can sign up at educationonfire.com and enter your details to receive the latest information and episodes on the newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. The more we share, the more help and inspiration we can provide. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.